Welcome to the Mike Abadir Show. You'll want to sit tight this hour as hosts Mike Abadir and co-host Gino Bacola talk to the experts, celebrities, and figures from the worlds of sports and business of sports. We cover the NFL, baseball, basketball, soccer, and horse racing, so we have all of the bases covered. Now, we just need your participation. Here is your host, Mike Abadir. Oh, August the 19th, 2021. Gino Bacola, your co-host here on the Mike Abadir Show. Like always, the main man, Mike Abadir, alongside. And we can uh, talk about how uh, the you know basketball NBA schedule came out. We're only two months away. We're only a few weeks away from NFL starting. So we've got preseason games going on. We are going to talk about a big fight coming up this weekend. A lot about that. But Mike, I know we have a guest coming on soon. Before we get into that, I have to talk to you a little bit about the craziness in that American League East and your Boston Red Sox, who right now, as we start today, are a game behind the Yankees and would not be in the playoffs if they started today with the Yankees and the A's in the wild card. And it, the Dodgers have been trying to pick up games on the Giants, and for like months, they they can't gain any ground at all. Somehow the Yankees turned this massive deficit into... A game lead on the uh, the Red Sox. They are twenty seven and eleven in their uh, their last stretch of games, which is the best record in baseball over that stretch. The Yankees are playing well, and they come off a sweep of the Red Sox. Yeah, it took it took the best record in baseball to be able to overcome the biggest deficit between the Red Sox and the Yankees in the two teams' storied rivalry history. Um, besides that, it also took the Red Sox uh, playing. Kind of subpar, 14 and 18 since the All-Star break. And the timing, the trade deadline too, right? It's so, that's what feels the weirdest to me. It almost feels like the clubhouse, like, got this, they looked around and saw everybody did more and maybe they felt like, I, I don't know, but it was so, so it, it was such a, a weird coincidence that it was right when everybody else got a little bit better and the Red Sox just kind of stood pat. And that was when it all flipped. Yeah, and I, I got to wonder, is would this have happened anyways? It or may not? be, because it may have been right? evening out at some point, right? It may just kind of regression to the mean at some point. The Yankees blew a lot of games early in that they should have won. They had some injuries. They did make a couple legitimate acquisitions to their lineup. You know, they got better for sure, no doubt about that. So, yeah, you're right. It, it's something that could have been bound to happen. It just seems so weird that it, it very rarely all happens like, the Yankees play well. The Red Sox don't right after a trade deadline, and they flip-flop. That doesn't mean the Yankees are going to finish ahead of the Red Sox. It's only a game right now. The Yankees could lose tonight, and the Red Sox will be a half game behind them. But the how quick it happened in just like a couple weeks was was crazy. I, I mean, I, I say this as someone like chasing the Giants, like excited that I picked up another game on them last night, and now we're only three behind them. You know, you, you usually don't make up that much ground in baseball that quickly. No, you really don't. So I'm going to give you reasons why the Yankees will finish ahead of the Red Sox. And I'm also going to give you reasons how the Red Sox can finish ahead of the Yankees. And the first one is going to be Chris Sale, of course. He came back. He looked really good. It was against the Baltimore really Orioles. Good. So let's yep. see what he could do against a better ball club. But, uh, you know, that is supposedly their trade deadline acquisition. And if that's the case, I can buy that. But it hasn't vaulted the team since then. So he's won. He won. They won the next game against the Orioles. They swept them at home. You're supposed to do that. The Yankees Red Sox 
over the last few years has been really strange. It's, so it's kind of similar to the Dodgers and Giants in that you'll go to Dodger Stadium and have the Giants win three in a row. And then you'll mm-hmm. go up there and have the Dodgers. That's kind of what's happening. No rhyme or reason to it. Yeah, the Red Sox look like world beaters against the Yankees early in the year. I think they won like eight out of the first nine matchups against them. Right, Even and like pitching matchups. Like pitching matchups where you're like, oh, this team, the Red Sox have the decided advantage in this matchup. Nope. You know, like when the, in these series, you don't even you'll, you'll get a pitcher who's been struggling for the Yankees, one who's been pitching great for the Red Sox. And then for some reason, the Yankees. And then it was the same way earlier in the year. I know exactly what you mean. It's like whoever's got a little bit of the momentum and is playing better just just kind of wins. And it, yeah, it's, exactly. So the reasons for the Red Sox, number one was Chris Steele. Number two, if you actually look at the last 32 games uh, since the All-Star break where the Yankees have made their move and the Red Sox have kind of been mediocre, the Red Sox have actually averaged more runs per game than the Yankees. So their offense is doing okay. Now, with that said, they were not okay at all against the Yankees this series. They really, their bats were quieted. But it's the reason that their bats were quieted that I'm optimistic. And why I say that is this. Have you noticed that the Yankees brought up a lot of first-time pitchers and rookie pitchers over those last couple of weeks? They've really needed help with their arms. And I've always been of the mindset, my theory has always been, if you have a pretty decent pitcher that gets called up, his stuff seen as at the fir- for the first time is Absolutely. always going to play Fairly. out a little bit better than the pitcher is. Absolutely. Um, if, if, if you come up with the right team, right? Because certain teams know how to develop you and bring you up. Like the Rays are a great example, right? But let's see how these guys do the second time out. Third, fourth time. The third time out. Now that there's some film on them. So the the hitters will always adjust very, very quickly. And you'll see those guys who pitch six one-hit innings get shelled in the second or third outing. So that's kind of the, the second reason. Third and last reason is this. Before the season started, if somebody had told either of us that the Yankees and the Red Sox would be almost like in a dead heat towards the end of August, I think any Red Sox fan would have taken it. Absolutely. So I think you kind of have to sometimes like just, just kind of roll with what the waves. The last exactly. Exactly. Look forward and say, okay, we got Chris Sale. Our hitting is good. The Yankees pitching is still suspect. Even though ours is suspect, we improved at least with Chris Sale. Those guys in their improvement, it wasn't for their pitching staff, really. It was mostly hitting Gallo and Rizzo, et cetera. Because surprisingly, the team wasn't hitting before, even with, you know, monster power sluggers like Stanton and, and Judge. So, uh, and obviously the catcher, uh, Gary Sanchez, et cetera. So they improved hitting-wise. I don't think they really did anything mm-hmm. to necessarily help them in October, the key, so, the key to their their team on that staff is the guy who's throwing tonight, Italian, because yes. he, if if you know whether or not Cole is going to be as good as he was, you know he's still a pretty a solid starter, right? You're still Cole, that's solid, and you got other pieces around. But if you can get this Italian right now, his last eight starts coming into tonight, then so we're talking about a forty eight. A 48 and a third inning sample Not a small sample size He has a 1.68 ERA A 202 batting average against 43 strikeouts in those 48 innings 
to uh, to his 14 walks. And most importantly, in those eight games, the Yankees are seven and one. So if and remember, um, he's a guy that you root for too. You know, even if you know you don't like as, a, as someone who hates the Yankees, as I I don't like the Yankees. It's not like I'm a Yankee fan, and most people don't. If that unless you are a Yankee fan, you you probably root against them because they've always been like the big bad Yankees. But this is a guy who suffered through some serious health issues. So, so, so guys like him, actually, you know, he always had great stuff, but then you go through these crazy health issues. You never know if someone's going to be able to get back to the level that they were. And this stretch right now might've been, might be the best stretch of his career over about 50 innings. If he's maybe, maybe he's finally back healthy, feeling really good. Sometimes it takes a year, two, three, even after, you know, life-threatening stuff like that. So he, he to me, is the real key for them because I think you're right. They need at least to feel confident and comfortable about at least two of their starting pitchers. I think both of you got the Red Sox and the Yankees do. And that's and that's at the least. I think you have to feel pretty confident about two guys out of every four or five that you're going to throw out there and get really good outings from, especially in a playoff series where you can rotate those two over and over. Um, if, if you get that from Talion, he, he might be the key to the Yankees making a run. Yeah, you make a fantastic point because it's going to be Eovaldi and Sale, and it's going to be on the other side, Cole and Talion. Who do you give the edge to? I don't know, because we haven't yeah. seen enough of sale quite yet. I'd say right now, you'd probably give the advantage to the Yankees because you know a little bit more about what you're getting. If sale is what we saw last weekend, then because sale is a lefty, you know, I may give the advantage the, to the Red Sox. The that, Red Sox that, have a like higher range, right? Like a higher yes. ceiling, but maybe a lower floor. The Correct. Yankees with their two might be a little safer, but you know, if, if sale is at his best, his peak is better than the peak of any, you know, anyone. So yeah, that that's exactly, yeah. exactly. So here's the thing. You said that the key for the Yankees is Italian. And I agree with you. The key to the Red Sox is not even sale, believe it or not. It's the bullpen needs to get their act together. Because if you looked at one point in the season, yes. they were 56 and 0 when they led after a certain mark. I, I don't want to uh, mistake it, make, uh, you know, give a incorrect claim so i don't know if that was after inning eight seven inning or nine eight. it was close it was, it was something towards the end yeah exactly so uh, since then i think they're maybe like four and four or something like that so they've had some issues with their bullpen let's see if they can address those correct those and come back better than uh than this little stretch that we've seen so they could kind of hang on to their leads and 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 win some games man it's fun it's, though. This it's gonna is, be fun this now. This is the AL East for you, and let's not forget about the Blue Jays, who are still hitting, 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 and and the Rays are still finding ways to keep their lead and extend their lead. So, this is a fantastic and a fun division. Unfortunately, there's going to be a couple teams probably left out of the mix. So, right uh, now, we'll see it, how that goes. It looks like, I mean, right now the Blue Jays are sort of in chase mode, and it looks like Yankees, Red Sox, and and A's. One of them is getting is getting left out. It's going to be two of those three teams probably that get in 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 the wild card spots unless somebody, you know, it, it, Houston, Oakland could still win their division. So it could be the Astros there maybe. But I think it's probably the one team from the AL West and then probably one team from the AL East taking up those wild card spots. And so it'll be a lot of fun down the stretch now. And kind of on the flip side, it's the Padres who have been playing really, really poorly and they have kind of open the door for a couple other teams in the national league to get into the mix. Both, both the reds and the Cardinals are kind of 
you know, have a little bit of life now for a wild card. It looks like it'll be that probably the Dodgers or the Giants that will secure whoever wins the division will probably will likely be the other wild card because they're about nine or ten up on the on the rest for that spot. Yeah, you got to be happy uh, as a Dodger fan with uh, Belly kind of coming around a little mm-hmm. bit. Yep, uh, yep. Actually, there's a first time starter this weekend at uh, Saratoga named Bellinger for, oh, Todd nice. Pletcher, for Todd Pletcher. That's got a big shot. I think it's like six to one on the morning line. Very so, good. Yeah. Well, yeah, first timers, Pletcher, Saratoga. He got the name. Sounds like uh, you know something to uh, definitely watch. Maybe throw down a few shekels on it's, that exactly. just based on the uh, mojo alone because he's kind of coming around. It's a good time because let's face it, man. We were talking about the embarrassment of riches that the Dodgers had coming into the season. But to their credit, I got to say this. They've been hit by the injury bug really, really it. badly. I mean, the news about Kershaw, very disappointing. Uh, who knows when he's going to be able to come back. Bauer, obviously, gone for the year Think most likely. Think about a likely. team that would lose Mookie for mo- a lot of the year and not a Mookie-style year. He's just he, he's only had two or three stretches where it was like, uh-oh, he's getting hot. And then every time, he got hurt again. He's he's never been able to put it together for a sustained period of time this year. Kershaw's missed a lot of time. Dustin May, who was awesome to start the year, he's been gone. Bauer's been gone. Can you imagine a starting rotation losing? Uh, and and we don't have to talk about the reasons why for Bauer, but just from a on field standpoint, you expected production from him. You miss Bauer, Kershaw, and May in in your starters. You miss Mookie. Really, Bellinger was hurt for a lot of this year too. Um, and he's finally coming, like you said, coming around a little bit. So you imagine most teams, you lose those three starters. You're not getting much from Mookie or Bellinger. Like, you're not having a good year. Well, when you look at it from that perspective, one can make the case then that if the White Sox and Dodgers have been able to overcome the injury mm-hmm. bug and that they're going to get maybe a couple of those key pieces back before the playoffs – that advantage to Dodgers, advantage to White Sox come playoff time. Doesn't always work out that way, but right now, yeah, as I'm paper, looking at it, yeah, on paper, I kind of think that those two teams are really set up well for October, and the Dodgers are kind of like the Warriors from a few years ago or any kind of like dynasty-type team uh, over a stretch of four or five-plus years. It's almost Or like a LeBron, any team that LeBron's on. They kind of don't care so much about playoff seeding and all that kind of stuff. They just want to get healthy for the playoffs because they know they're going to go mm-hmm. on a run. And I think the Dodgers are kind of in that same boat. Yep, we're about to bring in uh, our guest. You can you can sort of feel um, over the last couple of days too the as the Dodgers. It's, it sounds weird, but the difference of feel being five games back versus three. It just feels like way different, you know, it, it, in, in a baseball standpoint, especially when you're tasting a team like the Giants. And so now the Dodgers picked up a couple games over the last few days, which they weren't able to do literally since the All-Star break. They could not make up any ground whatsoever. Now they're now they're three games back. They play tonight. The Giants don't. They win tonight. They're two and a half back going into the weekend where the Giants play the A's. You know, that's that's not going to be a complete walk in the park series for them. So you maybe you pick up one more game this weekend, maybe. And all of a sudden now you're like uh, you're within two. Now you feel it. You just feel a lot better about where they are, too. It's like you said, they're not nervous about uh, we have to be here. And I think they just kind of play that your sustained clip and you put the pressure on the Giants a little bit. And then you look the Giants are going to start looking up and going, uh oh, um, 
as a Dodger fan, I, that one game is the only thing that scares me. Just getting down two to nothing in the first inning, if because you'd be, somebody else would be on the road, right? They'd be they'd be coming to Dodger Stadium. They get the first at bat. All of a sudden, you got Bueller or Scherzer, uh, Scherzer out there, and they get up to a two run jack in the first inning, and you're just like, oh no. Now you're just getting nervous and you're scrubbing. Give me a full seven game series. I would. I'm very confident that the Dodgers would be able to just wear anyone out. Yeah, I think so too, man. They uh, they still have a pretty stacked team, and they've got a lot of guys who have stepped up. Right, that some guys that you wouldn't necessarily talk about as. Uh, amongst the elite players AJ in the league Pollock. necessarily. But man, you're getting production from the catcher spot. You're getting production from outfield spots that are not Mookie Betts occupied or even Bellinger occupied for some of the season. So a lot of timely hitting, a lot of good pitching. And uh, I think that's, once again, a good formula for the postseason. The Giants, somehow, some way, still clinging on to that lead. So We'll uh, we'll we'll have a couple of very interesting playoff races. Definitely, the most compelling ones are in the West and in the East, and we haven't even mentioned the Padres once yet. Interesting experiment, putting their main guy in the outfield rather than shortstop. Usually, you have your best athlete at short. Now they're putting Tatis in the outfield so he doesn't get injured. I'd love to get your thoughts on that. Let's take a quick commercial timeout because we're going to be joined by our next guest. Everybody knows him as the weekend. knockout kid for the big weekend here. I am live in Las Vegas to cover the Pacquiao-Ugas fight. Stay with us, everyone. We'll be right back to talk some boxing. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Want to play the ponies and win? At Winning Ponies, we go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, and handicappers. The Winning Ponies Radio Show with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Catch us live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Win prizes just for calling in. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Mike at themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Back here on the Mike Abadir Show, we are going to change topics for a little bit. A big fight coming up this weekend. Mike is actually out in Las Vegas, and we have a guest coming on now to talk a little bit about it. So, Mike, uh, why don't you uh, set it up and uh, introduce our guest? Yeah, um, any regular listener to the show has probably heard him before. We're talking, of course, about the KO kid, the knockout kid, Keith Berry himself, MMA fighter, 
uh, fight prognosticator, does it all in the ring, outside of the ring. Keith, what's up, buddy? How are you? Hey, Mike. How you guys doing? Thanks for bringing me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Gino and I, uh, we've really stepped up our boxing and fight coverage over the last, uh, I don't know, Gino, what, maybe like a year and a half, two years, something like that. Yeah, definitely. And so I guess my question for you is, do you feel that there's maybe a little bit of resurgence for boxing? We've seen some personalities come back into the ring, et cetera. I think the tide had shifted, the momentum had shifted way towards MMA, UFC for a good 15-year period. Do you think the pendulum swings a little bit to boxing? Because I do feel some energy and some hype. No, I feel like lately boxing has been like, I feel like the whole Logan Paul and uh, Jake Paul, it actually helped boxing in a way because it made all these like real boxers like, oh crap, these guys, like come on. And then um, I feel like now they're trying to make some better fights and uh, more people are stepping up to fight uh, bigger challenges and, uh, yeah, I feel like boxing boxing's on fire right now. So yeah, um, I don't know about the pendulum swinging. I don't even, you know, it's hard to put all the numbers together, like sure. what's doing better, boxing or UFC. UFC's definitely been the up-and-comer for a while. But I don't think boxing will ever go away. They have all those old-school fans, and there's a lot of new-school people that love just the art of boxing, you know, not like MMA and all this other stuff. They just like straight boxing. So Yeah, and it I seems there, kind of also a, like, it seems kind of like boxing, for whatever reason, brings together certain communities uh, where UFC and MMA are maybe more widespread. And what I mean by that is, for example, I'm out here in Las Vegas, and the Filipino contingency that's backing Pacquiao is more than noticeable. They're loud, they're boisterous, they're fun, uh, their their support is awesome. Uh, you see a lot of the same thing also in Hispanic communities with certain fighters and stuff in boxing. So I think that also brings a different level of hype and energy uh, to the sport in general. But I want to shift focus for a quick moment here and talk about preparation. So in your fighting days, how much of your preparation is just your own training and how much is preparing for an opponent? Because Pacquiao for months was focusing on how to be Errol Spence. All of a sudden, the guy's got an issue in his eye, can't go. They find a replacement fighter in uh, UGAS. Completely different, right? You go from preparing for a lefty to a righty, et cetera. So what are your thoughts about all that? Uh, Pacquiao is an absolute legend. He's so dynamic. He's going to adapt, and uh, he's going to smash this guy, in my opinion. But... um, Someone like Pacquiao, like when I was fighting full-time, usually you stay in shape most of the whole time. And then once you get an opponent, then you kind of focus in on what the game plan is against this specific opponent. So I feel like Pacquiao is just, and he's a politician. He's uh, so many fans all over the whole world. He's super, like, mega famous. He's, like, in that Kobe Bryant uh, type of, like, fame, you know. I I was at a... They have this famous uh, doctor in uh, Long Beach that all the fighters go to. It's Dr. Gluckman. And I was getting my medicals done before one of my fights. And Pacquiao was getting his medical done the same day. And he had so many Filipino fans. It was amazing. It was incredible. I was like, holy crap. And, uh, yeah, I just thought that was so cool. So 
Pacquiao, um, by all means, I think he's going to have his way with this guy. He he's saw he's seen so many different styles in his day. So I feel like he's going to adapt and uh, take care of business. And it's crazy how how old he is still performing at such a high level. He uh, he is definitely a specimen, like someone very talented and incredible, like genetics and everything. You have to have all the boxes have to be checked to, to be somebody like Pacquiao. You know. So, yeah, you know. Pretty cool. Uh, Absolutely. You know, um, uh, I think you both know I've uh, gone to his training camp a couple of times doing a little bit of business uh, with uh, Manny and the conditioning that he goes through. I was tired watching 10 minutes of it, guys. I mean, honest to goodness, he's training and conditioning like he's in his 20s. It's like he drank from yeah. the fountain of youth. It's really, really something. It's it's actually a must watch. They should. I don't know if they've done any reality series or anything like that, but it's almost like one of those like, things where you played in the background while you are? work out and imitate what he's doing, and you're going to be in great shape because everything that he did, yeah. it was pretty cool how conditioning was intertwined with boxing, with strategy, etc. I can't even describe it, but you're right, man. He is a specimen. And let me tell you guys about a couple of records. Gino, check this out, because I know you're a historian in sports. I think you'll appreciate this. These are records that will not be broken, okay? He has won fights in four decades. Isn't that crazy? (laughs) So in the 90s, 2000s, the 2010s, and in 2020. I don't think that'll ever be replicated again. Here's another one for you guys. He has won in... Eight weight divisions. Eight weight divisions. Oh, all the way down to, I want to say, like, like under 110 and all the way up to oh the mid-160s. I, I think that's one of the things that um I think for maybe the novice fight fans that aren't, you know, the hardcore boxing fans that maybe will just kind of watch some of the bigger fights or the bigger events that's one thing that's always impressed me the most or just the thing that i rem- i will always remember the most about him when he does end up you know, you know uh finishing uh, off his career he just didn't duck anybody he was never one of those fighters that you were like oh they were playing like game he he you you never got the sense from him that he wasn't gonna go up a weight class or he wouldn't take the challenge like you just never got that feeling from him there's a lot of other fighters that you kind of get or let play some games or you know they play the political game or you know what, what's the line in rocky they was bombs you know they get a lot of setups here and there or and maybe they dodge some of the bigger fights but it just you never got that feeling with him he was always he would take on all comers he didn't care if he lost, if he moved up a, a, a weight class and he would lose, like a loss here or there. That didn't that didn't matter to him. He was just he he's someone that you you love fighting. You, you can't do what he did and just not love it. Oh, absolutely. So uh, we're joined right now, obviously, by the uh, knockout kid, the KO kid, Keith Berry himself, MMA fighter. Kind enough to spend a few minutes with us talking about this fight. Let me ask you, Keith, what is the most weight you had to gain? Uh, upward and the most weight you needed to drop to maybe fit into a certain weight class for a fight? Or have you had to do that as an MMA fighter? Yeah, I went through my whole weight cutting process. The weight cutting process, I feel like it is dangerous. It's not good for the fighters. It, it should They should do same-day weigh-ins. You should weigh in what you weigh 
and then you fight. You maybe cut five or six pounds. Um, they do these dehydration tests in, uh, where is this in it? Singapore. So they give you a dehydration test right before you weigh in. So if you're dehydrated, then they just won't let you fight right there because it's a really dangerous thing to get super dehydrated and do this whole process and then get it all the weight back and then try to fight. So I've cut, I had a fight where I was fighting at 185 and I cut 26 pounds in like 19 hours. And uh, it was, I had this whole, it's called water loading. You have this whole process you do with water loading and you get all the, sh- the salts out of your system and you got to follow to a strict diet two weeks before. So long story short, I was on the plane flight and I just, I broke down. I ate some crackers and like a sandwich and somehow I told myself it's all right. I'm going to, I had some water too and I was supposed to be fasting. So um, <clears throat> literally gained all this weight. So I had to cut a lot more weight. And then um, I lost the fight. So I, I didn't lose the fight because of that. I got, like, illegally need. I think it was a no contest, actually. But still, it was, I felt like crap. I, I don't even, if I would have gone to the later round, it would have been rough. So I feel like weight cutting, it's, it's not great for you. It's, it, I feel like it's better to fight at your natural weight. Gino, can you yeah. imagine, like, a jockey having to do that? Like, you know, he's got to weigh in like in the low 100s and then another race, maybe at 145. Well, I mean, that would be insanity. I, uh, I wrestled, uh, you know, my dad coached wrestling and I, I actually wrestled starting from when we were five years old. It It's one thing to see adults. It's another thing to go to one of these wrestling tournaments where you see the club wrestling teams on a Saturday or Sunday and you got six-year-old kids who are weighing in and they're trying to get down to 40 pounds, but they're at 41. You know, like it, literally, like that's the kind, and they, they're trying that's to crazy. cut a pound. That shouldn't a, even be allowed, guys. It's, it's crazy yeah, though. You know? I'm telling you, I don't. And I don't know what I just was saying. What my when I was in that experience, it was funny for me. Is like I, I'm very skinny, so I never had that problem. I remember the first match I wrestled when I was, uh, when I was five years old. I was 39 pounds. You know, and I was laughing about it, and uh, and so I, I never had to worry about that. But that's you know, I. Well, growing up and watching my dad coach wrestling forever, I watched everybody putting the trash bags on and doing the spitting and, you know, running like – and it's just exactly – you. I've never – I can't recall ever an experience seeing somebody that had to cut a lot of weight winning a tournament. Or, or, or if you did, it, it was very rare. It was very rare because you just it you take everything out of you before you even start. And then you – wrestling is obviously – not quite the same as boxing or or UFC, but it's very similar in the hand to hand combat, one on one like that. It's one yeah. minute. It takes everything out of you. Yeah, you, I mean, like Keith, the story you just cited resonates with me. You know, your body it just is is in need, in desperate need of of food and water and you know uh, sustenance. I mean, it. I agree with you when you say that it's dangerous. And this is a topic that we could probably talk about for a really long time. But I want to get into a couple of other things really fast. Actually, I uh, had a uh, I was fortunate enough to be able to sit down with kind of like the Berman uh, from ESPN uh, of boxing. His name is Ellie and he is with ES News. If anybody that's a big boxing fan, you know who he is and you watch ES News and all that good stuff. Does a fantastic job. And he he said something that I was like, wow. He said Manny Pacquiao is bigger than the Boxing Hall of Fame. He said, so if Hall of Fame is the highest level, 
Manny Pacquiao has surpassed that because he could be an eight-time Hall of Famer because of those belts that I mentioned in the different weight classes because of the decades that he's been able to win contests in. That's how big of a fighter that we're talking about. And Keith, you mentioned the political aspect. He's a senator in the Philippines, and I'm getting word that he's actually seriously contemplating making a run for the presidency. So president yeah, he of would the win. Philippines, he would I mean, win. that would be unreal. Uh, his camp tells me that the main reason for that is because he really, really likes to help people. And he thinks and that he can help people in the Philippines dramatically. And that's what's driving him to do so. So pretty good yeah. stuff there. Uh, in the last couple of moments, I do want to ask you, because you've been known to maybe throw down a dollar or two on some of these fights. Uh, this welterweight title bout has Manny as a minus 350, or you could get plus 290 on you guess. The over-under rounds-wise is 10.5. So basically, you're going to be, if you take the over, I would expect that you're basically saying this is going to go to the scorecard. Uh, if you could take the under, then you're probably thinking there's going to be a, a knockout. What do you think about those lines, Keith? Um, what What's the actual the odds on, so if it's uh, over 10.5 rounds, is it like a negative 115? And if it's under, it's a negative 115, something like that? Great question. So over is minus 260, and the under is plus oh. 220. Oh, okay. So, yeah, so they they think definitely it's going to a decision. Interesting. Um, it is interesting. Because yeah, I don't way, know. I, oh, I was just going to say, I think Manny's they, for they sure going to win. This, I suppose, you know, I suppose when you ask Team Pacquiao, they kind of have to say this. But to a man, each one said that he's going to knock out his opponent either in round three or round four. Every single person said, said the that? exact same thing based on what they're seeing. Pacquiao? Yeah. Now, oh, they, again, they think Pacquiao that's is going to do that, right? I mean, what are they supposed to say, right? But yeah, yeah. Is <laughs> that maybe that means he's overestimating or underestimating? You, I don't know. I don't know. But what do you think about these lines? Where would you go with these? You know what? Um, I do do some betting here and there, so I, I'm going to probably find a, a specific bet. I'm probably going to go for because I'm an underdog type of guy, so I'm probably going to say Pacquiao finishes on under ten and a half and and take that. So, cause I think that's, that's the most juicy. Option. If I, if I bet on Pacquiao straight up, you'd have to bet a decent amount to make anything. So, um, but yeah, that, I don't know anything about this other guy. Really guys, I'm, I'm going to be completely honest. <laughs> I had to, haven't even heard of him until the other day. Well, yeah, I mean, Errol Spence right. was supposed to be the guy that's in those shoes and he's a fantastic fighter and he would have been, uh, oh, yeah. This would have been a really, sure. really good fight, and uh, God willing, his eye is okay, and he comes back, and they could maybe uh, have this matchup, because I was really looking forward to that, but at the very least, Pacquiao gets uh, maybe a tune-up. Uh, if we're all underestimating him, then, uh, you know, uh, I'll tip my hat to, to, to you guys for sure. So, I like sometimes finding... And I think, Gino, you like this, too, when you kind of like really dig deep into the odds for any sports and you find kind of that window that uh, makes a lot of sense and is almost like like you feel like you're I don't want to say ripping off the casino, but you found the hole in their lines. And I think I did. So check this out, guys. 
So the over-under, mm-hmm. like I said, 10 and a half rounds is minus 260. Yeah. Right? If you're going to take the over 10 and a half, I think we all agree that that means that you're going to be expecting it to go to decision. Now, if you expect yeah. it to go to decision, most likely Pacquiao is probably the guy that wins by decision. You could get plus 120 if you just bet Pacquiao by decision. Yeah, just parlay him. And by the way, it, it, you guys by decision is plus 350. So Ooh, that is a nice little hack. I like that. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't touch the, the over at minus 260 when I've got these two options. You know, I don't even, I'd have to. Oh, so you're just going to parlay them both? You're going to parlay? You know? Yeah. Yeah, you just play Pacquiao yeah. to the over. Yeah. You know, which is instead of just playing Pacquiao. And then, and by taking the over, it, it you get a you get much more value there. Yep, exactly. Oh, now, nice. uh, just to kind of oh, like uh, fill in the gaps here, Pacquiao by KO, TKO, or DQ is plus one fifty. Ugas by the same exact things: KO, TKO, DQ is plus twelve hundred. Ugas by decision, like I said, plus three fifty, and then the draw plus eighteen hundred. So there are some interesting wagers out there. Uh, Keith, before we let you go here, because we're up against the break and always appreciative of having you on with us, uh, anything you want to plug, promote, uh, maybe give out your social media handle, etc. Um, yeah, I'm, I think it's pretty cool just that it's a mutual connection of ours and friend that, that Manny's all with the 100x coin. That's huge for them, man. I think that's really cool that he's getting involved in cryptocurrency. So, um, and that's it. I talk about a bunch of cryptos and I'm, I'm still training. I might get another fight in the next couple of months. So I'll definitely keep you updated. Yeah. If, if any of our listeners are, are fight fans, cryptocurrency fans, uh, Keith tweets it all at KOKid951 is his Twitter handle. He's a really good follow. Keith, thank you so much, my friend. And Thanks, Keith. I know you're going to be out here in Las Vegas. So let's try to connect sometime this weekend, my friend. <laughs> Yeah, for sure, Mike. Thank you for having me on. Thank you as well, Gino. And uh, yeah, man, I'm excited for the fights this weekend, and I'll be there. So hopefully we can connect, and I'll, I'll see you soon. Absolutely. That is the knockout kid, Keith Berry. Always thankful for having him join us. Gino, let's take our fr- final commercial timeout, and we'll talk a little bit more baseball, NFL training camp. And I think you took a peek at the NBA schedule. Uh, Maybe Christmas Day? Let's find out right after this. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Want to play the ponies and win? At Winning Ponies, we go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, and handicappers. The Winning Ponies radio show with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Catch us live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Win prizes just for calling in. 
Sports continues to grow and evolve to ever-increasing prominence in today's society. On All Around Sports, host John Inglesby will connect with the leading newsmakers from the sports world, including players, owners, and fellow sports journalists discussing the top news and events that are relevant to sports today. John will also report from and offer his experience of the world's top sports events. Tune into All Around Sports with John Inglesby, Mondays at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Mike at themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Back here, final segment on the Mike Abadir Show. Big thanks to Keith for helping us out. Talking a lot about the uh, big fight coming up this weekend. Um... In Vegas, where Mike, you got to, uh, you know, your boys, your Raiders over there. And I don't know if you hear the rumors. You got to get the, uh, you, you know, the handle on them. They're not the greatest tippers in the world, apparently. Some of the, some of the rumors out there that uh, have said have said that they were out. Uh, somebody had read, and uh, I, I stick up for the food service people as someone who has always been. Uh, I was a waiter for at many years and a bartender and, and worked all the way up. I did hear that they said Carr is a great tipper. But they said some of the other Raiders were out getting a little rambunctious, and when they didn't tip well, they were saying things like, hey, we bring millions of dollars into this city with what with us, so we don't need to tip. But come on, come on. You always got to tip someone. <laughs> yeah, you got you to gotta wonder if, uh, if you know, the, the, the veracity of some of these rumors, uh, they're kind oh, of yeah. uh, funny to, to hear about sometimes. And you just never know if somebody gives out 100 and they were expecting 500. Oh, yeah. Uh, 100 may be good for uh, you or I, or way above what you or I would tip, but they're expecting that these guys are money bags and would tip a whole lot more. I don't know where the truth is, probably somewhere in the middle. But uh, these rumors are, they're kind of funny to, uh, to, to hear about every once in a while. I remember a, a baseball agent several years ago where, during the Yankee glory days, he had told me that Derek Jeter. And uh, Tino Martinez were out and that Jeter kind of gave a half-ass tip. And as they were leaving, Tino Martinez actually actually came back. And added more to it? He didn't want to do it and embarrass Jeter. Mm -hmm. Uh, But he went and he he kind of was like, oh, this was the other portion that we were going to tip you. That was was uh, a friend thing. So sometimes you got to tell these youngsters kind of what to do, you know? Yeah. And and you know what? we got to be honest. We don't have to spend much more time with it. But what kind of service did you get? Right? If you weren't very good and you weren't given the greatest service in the world, why are you supposed to get some unbelievably spectacular tip? You know? like Great point, too. That comes into it too, you know. If things are slow, you're not taking a tie. You just, you, you know, not everybody gets the greatest tip in the world. So you got, you get what you, you get what you pay for sometimes. And maybe it wasn't the greatest, but uh, I thought I just thought that was funny. With the, uh, the we're talking Vegas. You're out there. You're a, a Raiders fan, and we got the NFL coming up uh, in just a few weeks from now. And so lots of kind of preseason games we're seeing. I think three, what three Thursdays from now. Uh, during this show, it will be the first Thursday night game, I think, on September the 9th. So, yeah, and you can start feeling it when you see the countdown on your fantasy football league. Mm-hmm. 
for the, the draft, countdown, countdown the draft. then you yep. really like this is real this is this is about to happen you you feel it we got a bunch of leagues this year i think we were uh, we we're able to fill uh, even another one so we've we've, we've got a, a ton of uh of fantasy football drafts coming up so uh right now for the uh for the raiders kind of just curious where what do you feel about where they are what they've done what their roster looks like heading into this year you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not very optimistic because I don't know how much better their defense is. I think they'll be okay offensively. Yeah, you know, and their I defense may be a right little better. Their offensive line is probably a little better. You know, yeah, they, their offensive line is a little better. They found their tight end for the next five years. Uh, you know, I think Carr is a very underrated quarterback, at least statistically speaking, at least morale speaking, at least in terms of the energy that he brings to the table. You don't hear a bad thing about the guy. So he's a legit NFL quarterback. Gets a lot of heat for some reason, and people have been looking to replace him. But he doesn't play defense. And the defensive woes, uh, I don't know how much they filled in the gaps, G. Yeah, and I think like offensively, they, they don't have a number one wide receiver, but they do have a number one wide receiver because it's their tight end. He's the one, he's the number one wide receiver. So, you know, you, 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 while you look at the wide receiver core, it's probably like a lot of twos and threes together, but yeah, the, but would you have a good running game and, and a tight end? And, like and you a t- that's it exactly where I was up. going. I think they, 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 the pieces are still offensively still seem like they fit fine. Maybe, maybe you'd want like maybe one more. I, I'd actually think John Brown's going to have a really good year this year. Uh, kind of quietly. I think he's like, he's someone that people don't realize quite how good he is. He's a little bit more than just a field stretcher too. I'll give you a little bit more there. Um, you got Renfro. We'll see. Can rugs kind of take the next step, um, you know, and kind of, you know, clean things up. Not as many drops. Uh, I'm, I'm with you though. It's just for them. It's all going to come down to, to their defense. And then, you know, also it's, it's not the easiest division in the world for them. When you know, every year you've automatically got two games against KC who's always going to be one of the best teams in the league. And then, you know, the Chargers played pretty well last year, and they were a lot of games that they should have won. And now they've got, you know, some big franchise, you know, organizational moves that should improve them. Um, and, you know, you look around, and the Denver's always a team that's tough to go play on the road. Even if they're down, they're a tough place to go play. So, it, you know, you, you look up and you go, oh, wow, we, we already got a pretty tough four or five games on our schedule every year right now, the way it's been the last couple of years. Yeah, and, uh, you know, and they're, they're, the division that they get to go up against, uh, you're going to get to see it front and center because week one, uh, they're going up against the Ravens. And week two, I believe uh, it's the Steelers on the road. So you're going to get some... Um, smash mouth hard hitting football in the first two weeks and i think that'll give us a good indication as to where the raiders are at you know if they go zero and two then it's not just that zero and two starts are bad in the nfl it's that they're outclassed i could guarantee you that if they go two and zero, that probably means that they've solved some of their defensive issues because the ravens they have a an explosive offense that's kind of unorthodox, right? It's not like your traditional offense. And I think if you could stop them, that probably means that you've got fast players in the perimeter, that you're able to uh, kind of uh, spy the quarterback. And let's face it, a lot of the QBs around the league now are more 
app to run than maybe ever before, right? So this will be a good test, and it'll also be a test for Roethlisberger to see where he's at. Is he still the guy? We've seen a lot of QBs play until an advanced age, even after injury. So I think the first two weeks will tell us a lot, man. Yeah, and, and uh, I know we're talking NFL, so not a complete complete tangent for no reason, but just I've got the Yankee game on in the background right here. It's amazing when you're when you start to go well, the things that happen for you. It's like the, it was zero zero in the third inning, and and uh, Yankee hitter drove a ball to the outfield that looked like the the outfielder was going to make a pretty good catch on it, but he kind of like he got caught in between when he dove, and he, he just kind of biffed the ball, and so you know. Now all of a sudden you got a runner on third with nobody out to start the inning. Next guy comes up and hits a double. It's just amazing. Like that, if that's an out, the whole inning's different, and everything's changes. And and you know a month ago for the Yankees, that guy in the Twins would have made that catch. Yeah, but <laughs> it's just you, I just saw it out of the corner of my eye and went, wow. It's it's funny because I you, you can feel it sometimes when you're watching your team going well or not, and not. I've just seen it with the Yankees the last week. I watched. I think I watched all those Red Sox games, and it was like that was the same thing that was happening. It was like the, they were getting the bounces on everything. It felt like like every bounce was going their way. It's it's and in baseball, it's pretty crazy to watch because there's so many variables. I just it, like it, it, it's so unpredictable, but at the same time, someone gets hot, and then just you can see everything going their way. And that's the case for the Yanks right now. Mike hopes that's the case for the Raiders this year. Sort of. Um, Getting back to the football, you know, I um, I kind of for for the Rams, I think in a one game situation, I think they're good enough to beat anybody. And I I think when you look at the NFC, they might be when healthy, definitely top five and possibly even top three because after Tampa, you start looking around and like who's the next best team in the NFC? You know, you go. Green Bay and New Orleans are usually up there, but both of them have kind of, you know, weird vibes coming into the year with a lot with changes with what's been going on with Rodgers there. Not really sure, you know. You you keep looking around. Okay, maybe San Fran or the Rams in, in, in that division. Maybe Seattle. Who knows? There's just there's nobody else really. It sort of feels like it's it's Tampa, and then there are a lot of teams that are kind of in that next tier. That yeah, maybe. They could be really good. I kind of feel like that's how the, the where the Rams are, and when healthy, they could be great. My concern with the Rams coming into this year, and it's sort of been the concern with the Rams the last few years, is I love how they're always willing to go get the best top-of-the-line players to try to make their team better and improve. But what that does is it really hurts their depth, Mike. So, you know, when when one of those top-of-the-tier, top-of-the-line, top-tier players gets hurt, you're you need Aaron Donald out there every game. You need Ramsey out there every game. You're paying Stafford now to need him every game. If one of those guys isn't there, you don't have the depth on the rest of your team for for you to kind of step up and fill in. So that's sort of where I I stand with the Rams and like their talent at the top. You look around, yeah, they have some of the best players in the league on defense. They have um, you know some really really good skill position players still. But I and and now a quarterback that's probably a, a major improve. I just don't know if. If they miss one or two of those key pieces, are they deep enough? No, you make some really good points. I think defensively, they are. Uh, the defense is going to keep them in a lot of games. Okay, absolutely. absolutely. Uh, that's there's no doubt about that in my mind. The questions to me going into the season are: How does Stafford fit in their offense? 
Because there's never a guarantee when you're talking about a new quarterback, new system, et cetera. Now, we all think of uh, McVay as a, you know, offensive quarterback guru type that uh, you could he could plug in anybody. If he was able to make golf into a Super Bowl quarterback, then let's see what he could do with Stafford. But it still has to happen. We still have to see it happen. The other area, too, is, you know, they've got some talented running backs who emerges to be the guy. And do they have a reliable guy in goal line situations, a guy that can move the chains for the team, that type of thing. Those are the things that I kind of want to see for myself before I, uh, I'm able to be all in on the Rams being maybe the first or second best team in that conference. But I don't see any reason why they couldn't. And they got a fantastic receiving core. So I think they're cool. And, 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 you know, with they've given Stafford some weapons. Mm-hmm. So, um, and this is probably the first time that he's had a good defense behind him too. So, and we'll, we'll maybe the best coaching staff that. that he's ever yeah. had. You know? exactly. So, now, now I want to say this, by the way, about that division. Or I want to ask you something. Do you envision a Fitz Tua situation in San Francisco? That's right? it. That's Where maybe Garoppolo gets things started. And then I don't think I just make a move. I mean, that'll be interesting to see what happens. Yeah, and and they and you got to be careful in situations with the young player because we have about a minute or two left, so we're getting ready to close things out. But let, let's compare two different situations, right? Like San Francisco has a young quarterback and someone in Garoppolo who's obviously not going to be in their future plans, but. Garoppolo might right now still help a pretty good San Francisco roster team to win games, maybe more than than Lance. Um, so I, I think you got to be careful is that you don't want to go to the young kid until you're ready to because you don't want to flip them back and forth. Right. I think when you go to him, then you want to go to him and stay with him. But like, look at the Saints. I wouldn't be shocked. The Saints could flip back and forth. It's not a young kid. They could go Jameis, Taysom Hill. Jameis, Taysom Hill. I don't think starting Jameis means that Hill won't be in there. I don't think starting Hill means Jameis won't be in there. I think with the younger kids, though, you got to be careful because you don't want to do and start messing with their confidence. Remember last year, some players were wondering. It was almost losing the room in Miami because a lot of those veterans were going, why are we starting this kid who doesn't seem as ready? So, you know, there are there are other things to take into account. I think in that situation, you make the move to the kid. You got to be make. You got to be one hundred percent sure we're sticking with him. It's a commitment. So, uh, and the spirit of Vegas, I'll close out by saying, week one lines. There are six. Count them. Six road favorites Ooh-hoo. to start scouting out in week one, and a lot of them are mediocre teams like the Jaguars and stuff. So, definitely some value there. We got to close things out, everyone. Thank you for listening. As always, go Manny Pacquiao. Have fun this weekend, we buddy. Yeah, we'll see you same time, same place next week. Enjoy your sports weekend, everyone. Thanks for joining us this week for the Mike Abadir Show. Please tune in again next Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time and 4 p.m. Pacific Time for another show with Mike and his co-host, Gino Bacola, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a great week.